Hey everyone, happy Friday. And um, happy day after Thanksgiving for all of you who celebrated Thanksgiving yesterday. Um, I hope that your Thanksgiving was really, really good. Um, ours was super like laid back, easy. We went out to my parents' house. They live almost an hour from, from where we are and just really enjoyed being together and not having really anything to accomplish. That was really nice and refreshing. And um, just enjoyed a, a day. I hope that your Thanksgiving was also relaxing and rejuvenating. All right, we are going to completely jump in. If you're on, tell me hello, because I'd love to know who I'm talking to. Um, I want to talk about love. Love presses in. Love presses into the difficulty. I want to tell you a background story of how this came to be a reality in my life. I have a very good friend who we did life with, um, hi, honey, that we did life with for a long time. Um, and then they moved. And um, But before they moved, she and I had really connected deeply. And prior to finding out that they were moving, and um, she said to me one time, she said, Angie, I may disappoint you, but I will never turn my back on you. And then she followed that up with a statement that was this simple, love presses in. And I thought, oh my gosh, love presses in. And it has marked me that those three words have marked me. And what's so funny is she walked away from our conversation feeling like she was being cheesy by saying that um, she may disappoint me, but she'll never turn her back on me. And I was so moved by that. I, I, I had never had anyone say that kind of thing to me. Like they were that devoted to our friendship that, um, that she would never, she could never even imagine turning her back on me. That's what that meant to me. And, and so I've, it's become just like my life mantra that love presses in. And I'm always reminded in difficult situations that love does indeed press in. And, um, and there's plenty of opportunity to practice, right? Like there's always room to practice pressing in. And um, like, we're always confronted with difficult situations, and particularly with people. And um, like, maybe we're in a disagreement, maybe things aren't going the way we hoped that they would go. For me, a very real scenario is kids moving out and um, being on their own for the first time. And at first, you know, they come back at least once a week and then weeks go by and you don't see them. Or maybe there's a new relationship that they're entering into and they're more interested in the relationship that's external in the home than they are with what's known and comfortable with me. So that's that's definitely been scenarios that, that I've been faced with and learning like, you don't need to give way to offense. Your 
it's okay to acknowledge that some some things kind of hurt, like mm, they're not choosing me, right? But um, the truth is, is that love presses in. If it's if it's a situation where you really care about someone, even if it's not, honestly, like love presses in, love goes low, and and that's what it really means to to press in to love is to go low, to learn how to be the one that is serving, to be, to know that, that you are the one that's, that's carrying the authority in the relationship. Maybe the other side isn't doing their part. I don't know, but, um, but you get to be the one who has the answer to the, the circumstance and that's empowering. It's a lot of responsibility, but it's also empowering to realize that, oh my gosh, like I'm carrying the answer simply by being willing to be the one that goes low, the one that is willing to love well. And, and do I do this right 100% of the time? No, probably about 45% of the time. Um, and I have to be reminded on a regular basis. I have Holy Spirit just constantly reminding me, actually, this is who you are. My feelings get hurt. But then he reminds me, you know, this is who you are. And then I have the opportunity to come back and, and go low and press in. And I always, the other the other part of that, and if you listen to me at all, you heard me say this, that I want to land in love before I address any situations. And my heart is means well in that. There's been other situations where I'm like, well, maybe that's not right. But no, my, my heart is um, is right in that because if I were to address situations in the moment, it probably wouldn't look like love pressing in. It would look like righting a wrong, which is not love. That's from a, a different tree. That's fruit from a different tree, right? Okay, so where I want to go is John 8. And this is such a powerful section of scripture um, if you've got your Bible handy, pull it open and and uh, let's go to John eight. We're gonna let me just let me just lay this out for you. In the beginning of of John is where the woman caught in the act of adultery is brought to Jesus by the Pharisees. They they want to see how he's they're testing him right, like at every turn they're testing him. They want to know like, what are you made of? What's in there? Like, how do we provoke anger in you? Right. They're, they're trying to, to get him to not default to love. And, um, it's actually the opposite. It, it backfires on them. And all we know is that he, he bends down and begins to draw in, in the dirt and have no real idea what it is that, that he is drawing or maybe writing. Um, I, I can't actually agree with him writing their sins in the dirt because he's not from the accuser. And we'll get into that. So we're going to skip over to verse 31. And this, this section is entitled, The Sun Gives Freedom. And this is just absolutely fascinating. It says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. And in the footnote, I'm reading in the Passion Translation, in the footnote, it says the truth Jesus gives us releases us from the bondage of our past, the bondage of our sins, and the bondage of religion. 
Jesus is speaking these words to those who were not fully free from man's traditions. Now, we could really start to unravel that, but we're not going to right now. But I want you to like really think about what is it that Jesus is is talking about here that um, the being free from man's traditions. So like, how far does that go? Like, we're not talking about the tradition of a family. Like our family does this for Christmas Eve, or our family does that for Thanksgiving, or we always do this. That's not the kind of traditions that he's talking about here. He's talking about being freed from the system of the earth, the system of, of religion, the system of um, politics, the system, honestly, of of humanity um, that we get entangled in, like the systems that tell us that it has to be a certain way, like, oh, you have to do this to have this result. And this is what Jesus is railing against. But then he goes on, he says, truth must be embraced and worked out through the divine process of spiritual maturity. The Greek word for truth is reality. To embrace the reality of Christ brings more freedom into your life. To embrace the reality of Christ brings more freedom into your life. Now let's go back and read what this says. And let's substitute the word truth for reality. For if you embrace reality or my reality, it will release more freedom into your life. What is he saying here? I mean, like Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? He goes low. Every single time, in every circumstance, every scenario, Jesus is going low. At first, it might look like he's picking a fight, but that's not true. He is always found going low. It, throughout the Old Testament, you can find sprinkled in where it talks about God stoops down to make us great. We find Jesus doing the same thing. He stoops low to make us great, to, to reveal reality to us. And that's what he's doing in this section of scripture. It says, for if you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. If you go low, right? It will release more freedom into your life where we feel like, oh, I'm going to hold the line, right? Oh goodness. My mom is calling. <laughs> I'll get back with you, mom. Um, if, if, if we go low, if we bend, right, if we bend, then freedom will be released into our lives. And this is like the opposite of what our humanity wants to do. Our humanity wants to hold the line, right? Our humanity wants to go toe to toe with whatever it is that, that is coming up against us, but it's actually the opposite. If you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. And so we see Jesus doing this over and over and over again. And it's not just releasing freedom into his life for him. He, his life escalates throughout scripture. We see more and more freedom gained after he goes low, right? There's more life available for those surrounding him every single time he stoops low. Let's go on. Surprised by this, they said, but we're the descendants of Abraham and we're already free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we will be released into more freedom? Well, we know that he's talking about spiritual freedom here, right? Like he's not talking about, um, they, they're alluding to the fact that, um, that they were brought out of Egypt, right? Like they were brought out of bondage, out of slavery. And, and Jesus is talking about a freedom that they don't 
have a clue about, right? And they can't see it because they're unwilling. They're unwilling to go low themselves, right? So when we are unwilling to budge, when we're unwilling to be moved by love, then we hold ourselves captive. We hold our spirits captive to... um, and not allowing ourselves to actually experience the love of God. But when we do go low, when we stoop low like he does, we gain freedom and, and we embrace his reality, right? Jesus responds, I speak eternal truth. When you sin, you are not free. You've become a slave in bondage to your sin. And slaves have no permanent standing in a family like a son does. For a son is part of a family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then become a true son. Be unquestionably free. Even though you are descendants of Abraham, you desire to kill me because the message I bring has not found a home in your hearts. That's harsh. Even though this was really harsh for them to hear, even though you are descendants of Abraham, you desire to kill me because the message I bring has not found a home in your hearts because I go low and love becomes the message. You can't receive it. That's what he's saying to them. It's not the system you're familiar with, right? I I hope that you're getting this. Um, Yet, The truths I speak have seen and received in my father's presence. This is uh, chapter eight, verse 38. Yet the truths I speak, I've seen and received in my father's presence, but you are doing what you've learned from your father. Jesus. What do you mean? They replied, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you are really Abraham's sons, then you would follow in the steps of Abraham. I've only told you the truth that I've heard in my father's presence, but now you're wanting me dead? Is that how Abraham acted? No, you people are doing what your father has taught you. What is he What is he laying out here by, by using, um, they identify themselves with Abraham, but what they're not understanding is the revelation that Abraham carried right? Abraham saw Jesus coming, right? Like he, he's asked to take Isaac up on the mountain and sacrifice him. It is, it is a, oh man, this is such a grandiose picture of Jesus, the Messiah, right? We know that, that Isaac is spared, blah, blah, blah. Um, let's continue. Jesus said, if you're really Abraham's sons, then you would follow. We just read that. Um, Indignant, they responded. What are you talking about? We only have one father. It's God himself. We're not illegitimate. Jesus said, then if God were really your father, you would love me for I've come directly from him. I didn't come here on my own, but God sent me to you. Don't you love that? Jesus presenting himself as a gift to the Pharisees. It's brilliant. Verse 43. Why don't you understand what I say? You don't understand because your hearts are closed to my message. What's Jesus's message? Love. Jesus's message is love. And they're so closed off to it because they would dare not be found going low. Right? 
You are the offspring of your father, the devil, and you serve your father very well, passionately carrying out his desires. He's been a murderer right from the start. So to really fully appreciate this, we have to understand that when he's using the word devil, he's being very specific. He's calling something out in them that is very specific. This is Jesus going low before the Pharisees because the devil actually translates to mean the accuser, the slanderer, the, the accuser, right? He never stood with the one who is the true prince, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies, but I am the true to, I am the true prince who speaks nothing but truth. Remember that word in the beginning of our reading here translates to reality, right? He says, but I am the true prince who speaks nothing but the truth, who speaks, who does nothing but reveal your reality in God, right? Yet you refuse to believe and you want nothing to do with me. Can you name one sin that I've actually committed? Then if I'm telling you only the truth, you don't want to believe me. If you really knew God, you would listen, receive, and respond with faith to his words. But since you don't listen and respond to what he says, it proves you don't belong to him and you have no room for him in your hearts. Jesus. See, they said, we were right all along when the Jewish leader shouted, you're nothing but a demon-possessed Samaritan. Okay, to really understand this, you, we have to, and it says this in the, if you're reading the Passion Translation, it says this in the notes, he breaks it down that that um, this is broke down into um, three major groups in Israel, and it was the Judeans who um, are from Jerusalem, so they consider themselves the real Jewish people, the Galileans and the Samaritans. Now we know where Jesus comes from. He's from um, Nazareth, which is from the Galilean portion of Israel. And um, so this was like a really um, sharp jab that they're trying to take at Jesus. You're nothing but a demon-possessed Samaritan, they said just really trying to put Jesus in his place, but clearly it doesn't work. 49, Jesus replied, it is not a demon that would cause me to honor my father. I live my life for his honor, even though you insult me for it. I never have a need to seek my own glory for the father will do that for me and he will judge those who do not. I speak to you this eternal truth. Whoever cherishes my words and keeps them will never experience death. Holy cow. Should we read that again? Because that was really good. I never have a need to seek my own glory for the father will do that for me. And he will judge those who do not. I speak to you this eternal truth. Whoever cherishes my words and keeps them will never experience death. What? Wow. Wow. Whoever cherishes my words and keeps them will never experience death. That's pretty incredible. This prompted the Jewish leaders to say, now we know for sure that you're demon possessed. You just said that those who keep watch over your words will never experience death. But Abraham and all the prophets have died. 
do you think you're greater than our father Abraham and all the prophets? You're so delusional about yourself that you make yourself greater than you are. Jesus answered them, if I were to tell you how great I am, it would mean nothing. But my father is the one who will prove it and will glorify me. Isn't he the one you claim as your God? But in reality, you've never embraced him as your own. Dang, I know him and I would be a liar like yourselves if I told you anything less than that. I have fully embraced him and I treasure his every word. And not only that, Abraham, your ancestor, was overjoyed when he received the revelation of my coming to earth. Yes, he foresaw me coming and was filled with delight. But many of the Jewish leaders doubted him and said, what are you talking about? You're not even 50 years old yet. You talk like you've seen Abraham. Now, if you remember the story of Abraham, it's it, it says that the angel of the Lord came to visit him. But you know, it's highly probable that it was Jesus that he interacted with. I mean, Abraham had all the fun. He got to have all the encounter and, and his reality was encounter. He got to encounter God on a regular basis. And so, you know, you talk like you've seen Abraham. Well, he did. Jesus said to them, I give you this eternal truth. I have existed long before Abraham was born for I am. You've got to love that. That's just so good. I love, I love that line. Long before Abraham was, I am. When they heard this, they picked up rocks to stone him. But Jesus concealed himself as he passed through the crowd and went away from there. Now you could easily just skip right over that and not look into it. But what's happening here is nothing short of a supernatural encounter. Jesus conceals himself to make it through the crowd. He was he was the man on stage. The limelight was on him, right? Like how how did he just sneak through? He just snuck through the crowd. No, that's not how that happened. He concealed him. Jesus disappeared. Right now, I don't know whether he was, um, you know, translated somewhere else. I don't. I don't know how that happened. Was he invisible? We know that like Jesus walked through walls and you know, all all of the different things, but. Um, this is clearly a supernatural moment where Jesus conceals himself. Maybe he was carried away by angels. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. I wish, I wish the, the writer would have laid it out and been like, you know, Jesus was, and then he wasn't, you know, because <laughs> that would have been fun to, you know, follow up that line of long before Abraham was, I am. It would have been fun if he would have been like, and then he was. And then he wasn't like he was there. And anyway, that doesn't matter. Okay. Here's the big deal. So we find it throughout Jesus's conversations with the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders, however you want to read that, um, that um, he's telling them that they're blind. Like you're blinded. You you can't see like you wouldn't, you wouldn't know love if it slapped you in the face. And um, 
everything that Jesus did was followed up with um, a manifestation of what it was that he was talking about, right? So we know that the story begins with him redeeming and restoring the adulterous woman, right? The the woman who's dragged before him and the um, the Pharisees are, are wanting her stoned to death because that is what is written in the law. So we know that the story starts off with that encounter. And, and he says to the woman, woman, where have your accusers gone? Right. And, um, and then he's back into a conversation with the Jewish leaders and has everything to do with the accuser, except for Jesus is revealing to them that your father is the devil. Your father is the accuser. And so what, what I really want to highlight here is that we need to be careful, right? This is why love goes low. This is why love presses in. This is why this needs to become who we are. It needs to become a part of our DNA that love goes low, love presses in, that you can find me stooping low at every turn, right? Like I, I want that to be what is true of us, that that is what is said of us, that like it doesn't make any sense, but you know, there she goes again, or there he goes again. Honestly, this is actually a very real part of my life where I accusation has been slung about me. Like, ugh, gosh, she's always giving people more chances than they deserve. Well, listen, so does Jesus, right? And this is not me bragging on myself because this is, it's supernatural. I don't know how I do it because listen, the reality is, is that I get offended, that I get hurt and frustrated and all the things, but I am compelled to press in because I believe that, that Jesus has put treasure in every single one of us. And like my job is to pull it out and put it on display. And, um, and that's what Jesus is doing here with the, the woman caught in adultery. He's like, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. And, and I, you know, if anything, if he was writing anything in the dirt when he stooped low, I I think that he was probably writing who he knows her to be, right? He's in the business of going low. He's in the business of pulling out the gold in, in all of us long before we would consider ourselves deserving of such knowledge, right? Like that's who he is. He reveals treasure inside of us. It, really what he does is reveals himself inside of us. And so I don't know. I have no idea what it was that he was writing, but what if, right? Like what if he was actually writing out all that that is excellent, about her, right? I just think that that's absolutely beautiful. So it starts off like that. And then he goes in and he's railing against them about, um, you know, you don't, you're, you don't even belong to God. Like you don't value anything that God values. Like what you value is accusation. What you value is slander. What you value is finding the dirt in others. What you value is finding reasons and excuses not to press in. That's what he's saying to them. He's like, your father is the devil because you lean into accusation when you're called to press into love, right? That's what he's saying. So I said all that again, because I want us to realize that um, when, when Jesus is speaking, when he goes low, there's always a manifestation. And what follows chapter eight is, is um, him healing the man who was born blind right? And it's such a beautiful story. I just want to read the first portion of it. 
Um, afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. I like how it's so nonchalantly written, like he's just strolling along, right? Because he just disappeared and then appeared somewhere. So he's just like happens to be there, whatever. Um, <laughs> the spirit of God pulled him from the crowd and placed him in front of this man born blind from birth, right? Um, <clears throat> his disciples asked him, teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents, Right. So now we find the disciples in this, they're caught up in the same um, thought processes, the same mentality of um, the Jewish leaders. I mean, obviously they're all raised in the same, the same um, law and in, in legalism. And, and so they want to know like who's, who sins caused this because what they've been taught from birth, these are good Jewish boys. What they've been taught from birth is that all sin originates somewhere. Every, every, um, Every, because remember, like they made such a big deal about the the sacrifices that they would bring, that they had to be flawless, absolutely flawless. And so if there was a flaw in one of them, they were quick to point it out that this was just habitual for them. They really stepped in and um, to be the accuser over one another instead of the restorer. See, we're called to be like the ministry that we're called to is reconciliation, right? We're supposed to be reconciling one another with the truth, with the reality of Jesus. And that's not what they're doing here. They're going like they're reconciling with their the legalistic mindset that they have. And this is what Jesus says. Neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. He could have just said, this happened for your sake so that you could understand who God really is, right? Neither. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. For there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. It's super interesting to me that um, God formed Adam out of the clay of the earth, right? And here Jesus is found forming new eyes out of his own spit in the dirt. Amazing. So this is this is the manifestation of what Jesus is presenting. Jesus is in the Father's presence, hearing what the Father says, right? And he is speaking truth. He's releasing reality. He's pulling on the unseen realm, right? He's stooping low. He's doing all of this from a position of love, right? If you have problems in your life, if you have circumstances that you don't like, you probably should take some notes, he gets in the presence of his father. He hears what the father has to say about it. He stoops low, releases truth. And then he turns around and he causes it to manifest in a man being healed from blindness. 
It's all right there. That's how it's done. So whatever situations you're not fond of, don't be petty about them. Don't start slinging around accusations. Well, if this or that would have been different, right? No, get in the pro the father's presence. What is he saying? Let him change your mind because it all happens right here first. Change your mind, release wisdom, and then cause it to manifest in a miracle. Holy cow, right? Like it says in the Bible that the gospel will be accompanied by miracles. The truth, the reality of the kingdom will be accompanied by miracles. We just stop short. We are found stopping short every time because we are so unsure of ourselves. But the reality is Jesus didn't have to be sure of himself. He even said that. He's like, I'm not going to tell you how great I am. I'll let the father do that. Watch. He didn't have to tell them how great he was because he turned around. He disappeared from the crowd, appeared on a street before a blind man with his disciples. So did they all disappear? I don't know. And he heals blind eyes. See, the, the spiritual reality of the Jewish leaders is that they are blind. So he turns around and he causes a physical blindness to be healed, to, to manifest new eyes. I believe they were new eyes because why on earth did he have to have clay if he was not creating? So anyway, I will leave you with that. Side with Jesus. Side with Jesus. Guys, be blessed. Get into the presence of the Father today. Like seriously, I challenge you. Take your problems before the father ask him what do you say what do you say is true we have to stop relying on tradition right we need to understand what he's talking about here we need to stop relying on what we've been raised up in what we have been told is wise like make sure you do this this and that we'll follow this system i'm challenging you not to and i know that's easier said than done but what I'm challenging you to do is take your problem before the father and ask him, put your eyes on this. Tell me what you say. And then repeat it. That's all Jesus did. And then he allowed reality to manifest into miracles. Do that. Love you. Remember, love presses everything.